0: Hello and welcome to the Teaching Ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information including service times and directions or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. We've been talking about the spirit-filled life and we first of all a couple of Sundays ago we talked we actually started in the 19th chapter of the book of Acts and Paul asked the disciples there, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And uh, we took that first Sunday and we established the fact that there are three different terms in the Bible that are phrases or terms, however you wanna say it, that mean the same thing. Being filled with the Spirit, being baptized with the Spirit and receiving the Holy Spirit. And we showed that these three three terms are synonymous. We're not gonna look at the scriptures today, but we proved it from verses from uh, Luke 24, Acts chapter one, Acts chapter two, Acts chapter eight, Acts chapter 10, and Acts chapter 11, and Acts chapter 19. We showed conclusively that those terms being filled with the Spirit, being baptized with the Spirit, are receiving the Holy Spirit All are synonymous, they all mean the same things, amen? And so here in Acts chapter one, uh, Luke is writing here and he's telling what Jesus uh, said there just before he went into heaven. In Acts chapter one, verse four, and being assembled together with him, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you have heard from me. and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You remember in Matthew's gospel and in Mark's gospel, and even in it to a measure in Luke's gospel, Jesus said that his name would be preached to the nations. He said that you will go unto all the world and preach the gospel. And, uh, but he said, before you go, you need to, be, you need to receive power from heaven. Yeah. Amen. Amen. We talked about this the first Sunday, two weeks ago. We talked about supernatural ability. That's what Jesus was talking about here when he said, you shall receive power. He was talking about receiving supernatural ability in your life. This power is transformative power. Amen. It changes the dynamics of a Christian's life. It's one thing to be born again and that changes eternity and changes the dynamic of your life as far as eternity is concerned. But as far as the here and now, there's nothing that changes your life like being baptized with the Holy Spirit or being filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said you'll receive power. Amen. And it it adds a dimension in your life of the supernatural that you just can't get any other way. And people can see it. It's quite evident. It's evident when it's not there. Because it says in, in Acts chapter eight, when the disciples or the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God. Well, what does that mean? They had been born again. Being born again, First Peter says, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So we're born again by the incorruptible seed of the word of God. 1 Peter chapter one, verse 23. But it says in Acts chapter eight that when the, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria, the Samaritans had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John. And it says, when they came down, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit for as yet he had fallen upon none of them. Notice when Peter and John got there, they immediately recognized that though God had done a great work in Jerusalem, I mean, Philip had done a tremendous job. People had been saved. There had been miracles and healings and evil spirits had come out of people. There had been a great revival work there. Peter and John immediately detected that something was missing. He said, because the Spirit had not fallen upon any of them yet, they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, but they hadn't been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so Peter and John prayed for them that they might receive the Spirit. Like I said, it's evident in somebody's life when a person is filled with the Spirit. It just adds a dimension, you can see it in their life, you can see it in their face, you can hear it in your ears. Because spirit-filled people are are not just naturally excited. There's a spiritual power in them that spills over into their conduct, into their behavior, into their speech. I tell you what, spirit-filled people just praise God and are unashamed. And if you're unashamed and you've stopped praising God, you need to get refilled. Amen. 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 Because that's what happens when people get filled with the Holy Spirit. They 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 take it, it. It adds a dimension, like I said, of praise in your life. It adds a dimension of boldness in your life. It just it makes you a Christ like person. Amen. Oh glory to God! It adds fervency in your life. It affects your prayer life. It affects your, your faith life. It affects your healing. It affects your prosperity. It affects everything about you. There's a deeper added dimension of the Spirit in your life when you're filled with the Spirit. I like to illustrate it like this the home we sold a couple, almost a year and a half ago, that house had a, we had an in ground swimming pool, plaster in ground swimming pool. And it had a deep end and it had a shallow end. Now, the water was the same in both ends. We had a circulating pump, of course, and the same water that was in the deep end, a few minutes later, is going to be in the shallow end, and vice versa. It was the same water in both ends, but one was just a deeper measure of that water. That's the difference in the baptism with the Holy Spirit and the... experience of just having the spirit in you as a result of result of being saved when a person is saved when they're born again certainly the holy spirit comes to live on the inside so every christian has the spirit in that sense but there's it's one thing to have the water in you it's another thing to be full of water it's one thing to have the spirit in you it's another thing to be filled with the spirit and to be honest with you in a swimming pool you can just have more fun in the deep end You can do more in the deep end. You can go further in the deep end, isn't that right? You have to take certain precautions. In in the shallow end, if you know how to swim, you you don't have to take precautions in the deep. Now, my wife has to take precautions in the deep end because she's not a swimmer. She always had to go out on a float. But what I'm saying is, other than my wife, the deep end's better, amen. There's more of the Holy Spirit and it's just better. It's a deeper experience. Glory to God. Amen. So we talked about that the first week and then last week, uh, we went a little bit different direction. I started out that way and didn't end up that way. We talked about last week, some of the effects of a spirit filled life, what it's like to be spirit filled. And we talked and we looked at Romans chapter 12. Remember that last week? We looked at all those different things. I tell you what, being filled with the Spirit affects everything about your life. It affects your ordinary life. And it changes you. Now that's not to take anything away from the new birth. The new birth changes you because you are born again. You become a new person. And that certainly is a big change. But then the baptism of the Holy Spirit even takes you further than that. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Amen. It adds to that. Yeah. And we talked about the different ways that are that, the different things that characterize spirit-filled living. Yeah. Spirit-filled living is not extremism in the sense of being out of bounds, but it is extremism in the sense of being full of God. It's extremely full of God. Yeah. Yeah. It's extremely full filled with the presence of God, extremely filled with the, with the power of God. And we need that extremity in our life. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, we talked about, about that. And then the, the first week, we briefly touched on the witness part. And I wanna go back to, to that today and pick up where I left off. Jesus said here, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and that's just another expression of being filled with the Holy Spirit, receiving the Holy Spirit. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me. Now, he said, first of all, in Jerusalem, and then in all Judea, and then in Samaria, and to the end of the earth, he said, You'll be my witnesses. That's the way the margin of my Bible shows one, one of the, uh, of the uh, uh, text here, uh, uh, manuscripts reads, you shall be my witnesses. Well, what does it mean to be Jesus's witness? It means to be his personal uh, uh, representative to testify and to demonstrate him to people. It's interesting that this word that's translated witness is the the word that is also translated martyr. And it's the Greek word that we get the English word martyr from. Remember, uh, Paul was talking about Stephen the martyr. Stephen gave his life for Christ. And that's what this word witness means. It's it's the word martyr. Martyr. Now, before you think for a minute that you receive power and you shall all give your, lose your life for Christ, let me reassure you that's exactly what it means. <laughs> you are to lose your natural life in, faith, in favor of his life coming through you. See, a martyr was someone who laid down their life. And in the physical sense, they actually gave up physical life and and experienced a violent death. Well, he's not calling all of us to do that, but he is calling all of us to lay down our natural life in the sense of of being in charge and having it our way and pursuing what we want to do. We need to lay all of that down, give our whole life to him. It means to take his life upon yourself, to take his cause as your cause. Your cause is no longer to just be happy in life. Your cause is no longer to just grow old with your spouse, have a nice home, have a nice automobile, have a nice retirement, be able to enjoy your life, it means it means taking that that no longer becomes your purpose in life. Your purpose becomes Christ and representing Christ and testifying of Christ to the world. That's what, that's what Jesus was talking about when he said you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my martyrs you will be my witnesses, you will be those who will model me, take on me, represent me. Oh, glory to God. That's what we get to do. There's power to do that. You're not gonna be able to do it in your own strength. That's why he said you'll receive power. It's the power that will enable you to be the witness. Amen. Well, you know, if if you're going to be Jesus's representative, and you remember in John chapter 14, what Jesus said, he said, the works that I do, you will do also. That's what it means to be a witness for Christ is to do the works of Christ. See, to, to just tell people about Christ is one thing, but to model Christ, to take on his very, not only his character, but his supernatural power. That's another thing entirely. Now, we understand this. We've, We've talked about this many times, that Jesus, though he was God, though he always existed with God as the second person of the Trinity, that when Jesus and we celebrate this at Christmas time, of course, when Jesus became uh, flesh and dwelt among us, the Bible says that he emptied himself and, and took on the form of a servant and came in our likeness and he limited himself to everything that's that's available to man. In other words, as, as, as the son of God in the flesh, Jesus didn't operate as God, he operated as a man full of God. Fully submitted to God, fully yielded to God. So we make that, we make that clear because if people don't understand that, they will never see themselves doing the works of God. But how many of you can understand this, that sometimes you you uh, stress one thing and emphasize one thing in order to, people, to pull people away from uh, a tradition, being stuck in the mud in tradition in one area. But let's go back to the mud for just a minute. Though Jesus became a man, he was still Jesus. He was still different in the sense that he was perfect. Now he became a man and dwelt among us and he did it as a man, but he was successful. I've not always been that successful since being born again. I've found that I'm still, I've still not been made perfect. Jesus never sinned. Well, that ship has already sailed for me and for all of you too, isn't that right? So we can't say that. And if we're honest with ourselves, not wanting to have a bad confession, but just being honest with ourselves, we would all have to admit that we're probably gonna mess up again. And thank God for 1 John 1, 9. Amen. But at the same time, we have to be realistic. And though Jesus became a man, he was the only perfect man. He was the only... Uh, sinless man. He was the only totally submitted to the spirit of God man. I mean, growing up as Jesus was a unique experience. Wouldn't you agree? Jesus was born of the spirit. He had the Holy Spirit in him. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit, in the womb of the Virgin Mary. So in every sense of the word, he was of the Spirit, had the Spirit. How do you think Jesus knew at 12 years of age to go into the temple and, 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 and when his parents came looking for him, said, well, wouldn't you know I'd be about my father's business? How did he know that? How did he know he was the son of God? Because he was, he was completely yielded to the Spirit within him. But even though Jesus had the Spirit in him and he was born of the Spirit, he could not complete his assignment without being filled with the Spirit. Amen. Go to Luke chapter 3. We'll just not comment on it a lot, but just, just so you'll see what I'm talking about. Jesus. Luke chapter 3, verse 21, when all the people were baptized, this is John the Baptist baptizing people from Jerusalem and Jordan and so forth, Judea and all had come out. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And when he prayed, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. Well, does that signify anything? Well, when the Holy Spirit descended upon him, that must mean that the Holy Spirit was not previously upon him. Because if the Holy Spirit was already upon him, then he wouldn't be then at this point in time descending and and coming upon him. Isn't that right? Look at chapter four, verse one. Then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus had to be filled with the Holy Spirit in order to fulfill his assignment. What happened as a result of being filled with the Spirit? Well, he was led by the Spirit, first of all, into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil, isn't that wonderful? Amen. That's part of the Spirit-filled life too. Now any believer can be filled with, can any believer can be led by the Holy Spirit and every believer, even if they're not filled with the Holy Spirit, still should be led by the Spirit. Right. But being filled with the Spirit enhances your Spirit-led life. Amen. It enhances your ability to be led of the Spirit. And it says that he was led of the Spirit. In verse 14, of course, we know he went into the wilderness and, and Satan tempted and he overcame. Verse 14 says, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. What did he say to his disciples? You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He could have said, just like the Holy Spirit came upon me on the Jordan River and I returned in Jerusalem in the power of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon him. He was filled with the Spirit. Verse 14, he returned in the power of the Spirit and it transformed him. People, we won't have to read all of that, but people people in the synagogue where he went in and began to read, it says that he went into the synagogue as his custom was. That means that he had been there the previous Sabbath and the previous Sabbath and the previous Sabbath and the previous Sabbath. It was his routine. It was his custom to go into the synagogue on the Sabbath. But they recognized something different about him this day. And they recognized something different about him every Sabbath thereafter. When he went into the Sabbath, uh, excuse me, every Sabbath thereafter, when he went into the synagogue, something happened. Yes. Right. Now, my point is if Jesus. The son of God, though he was a man, he was a perfect man, the sinless man, the perfect model of a man. If Jesus had to be filled with the spirit and receive this power, then who in the world are you to think you don't need this power in your life? That would be absurd, wouldn't it? The scripture says that that when he went into the into the synagogue he picked up the scriptures and turned to Isaiah and said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me In Acts chapter 10 it says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power Well it's obvious then that that he had to be anointed Think about that. Jesus is God and yet he had to be anointed by the spirit. So you can see then that he wasn't operating as God. He was operating as a man because I mean, if he's God, who's going to anoint God? (laughs) No, as a man, he had to be anointed. Well, we have to be anointed if we're gonna do his work. If we're gonna be a witness for him, we're gonna have to be anointed by the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus said this. He said, I want you to go into all the world. But in Luke 24, he said, but before you go, wait. He said, do not go anywhere. Tarry in Jerusalem, before you go into all the world and try to be my witnesses, wait just a minute until you're filled with the Spirit. They did that. They waited 10 more days. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell. They were all baptized with the Holy Spirit and they went out and they did exactly what he told them to do. And Acts chapter 17 says, they turned the world upside down. Oh, glory to God. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to shake things up. We're supposed to turn our world upside down because really our world is already upside down. If we turn it upside down, we'll be setting it right back up. We're supposed to go into all the world and turn things upside down. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean? Does it mean to just go to work and cause confusion and... Have nutty things happening? Possibly. (laughs) Here's what Jesus said. How How did they turn the world upside down? Go to Mark chapter 16. Here's how they were to turn the world upside down and this is how they did turn it upside down. This is exactly what happened. Acts chapter 17 The Gentiles and others said of Paul when he came to town, they said, those who have turned the world upside down have come here also. How did they turn the world upside down? Well, Jesus told them how to do it. And he tells us how to do it. In Mark chapter 16, glory to God. is gonna be fun. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. You know, this is serious. Whether people are saved or condemned depends on what they believe. And what they believe in large part is is our responsibility in the sense of do we present to them what they need to hear. It's our job to preach the gospel in in a sufficient degree or in a way that people can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now again, it's not just sharing words, but it's laying your life down and taking up his life and living the Jesus life in front of people. Now, most of the time in church, when people talk about living the Jesus life, in most most people's minds, it it conjures an attitude or an an idea or a thought of just being a wonderful person, a loving person. You know, that's what the world always emphasizes about Jesus, that he was a loving person. Well, he was. He was a loving person. He was also a powerful person. He was a person that changed the, the dynamics of any situation he walked into. Nothing was the same after Jesus came on the scene in any situation. It was always different. Because he was a person of love, but he was a person of power. And he shook things up. Get ready for controversy. Controversy is a good thing if you can back it up with truth. I said, controversy is a good thing if you can back it up with truth. Amen. He said, these signs will follow those who believe. Here are the signs of the gospel. I said, here are the signs of the gospel. These signs will follow those who believe. In the margin of my Bible, it says they're the believing one. These signs will follow the believing ones, those who believe. It didn't say these signs will follow preachers. It would include preachers, but it's not limited to preachers. It certainly wasn't limited to the apostles because we see in the book of Acts other people beside the apostles doing these very things. In fact, we saw people beside the apostles even in Jesus's ministry. there were were others besides the 12 who went out and did these very things. He said, these signs will follow those who believe. These signs should be following every Christian, but they're not gonna follow unless you're filled with the Holy Spirit. The baptism with the Holy Spirit gives you the power in your life to enable these signs to follow you. Now, someone said when I was a young Christian, I heard this a lot, they they would always sort of caution us, us younger men and women in the church because we were so zealous, you know, to get on with the work of God. And and we were all about the power of God and people used to caution us and say, "Now, now, now boys, remember, these signs will follow believers. Believers won't follow signs. You're not supposed to follow signs. Signs are supposed to follow you. Well, that's a technicality, but it really doesn't make any difference. Because if the signs are gonna follow me, I'm gonna have to have some interest in the signs. And I'm gonna have to have some interest in the power that brings the signs or they're not gonna follow me. These signs will follow those who believe. The first thing he said is they will cast out demons. These signs will follow those who believe. How many believers do we have? How many of you believe on? The, how many of you believers? Well, these signs will follow those who believe. They will cast out demons, cast out demons. That means command demons to come out of people. These signs, the first one is casting out demons. That's saying, come out of him. Come out of this person. And they'll come out. The second sign is they will speak with new tongues. We have that one down. How many of us speak with new tongues? How many of you have cast out demons? Well, these are the same signs. I mean, they're, 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 they follow the same experience. Amen. These signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons, and he wasn't talking about preachers <laughs> casting out demons. <laughs> Jesus listed four things. It looks like five things, but it's really four things. He said, number one, in my name, they will cast out demons. Number two, they will speak with new tongues. Now, the way it's written in your Bible, it would look like the next one, two or or two things, but they're really one thing. Notice that there's a semicolon after they'll cast out demons. That's That's one thing. Then they will speak with new tongues, semicolon. That's the second thing. They will take up serpents, semicolon. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them, semicolon. They will lay hands on the sick, comma. Notice there's a comma there, not a semicolon. That means that the word and goes with the idea that preceded it. They'll lay hands on the sick and they will recover is one thing. Well, if you go back up to they will take up serpents and that should have been a comma there. They will take up serpents and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. That's really one thing. Just like they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. The drinking anything deadly goes with the taking up of serpents. Now I have this on greater authority than just punctuation. Because you know that there's no punctuation in the New Testament, in the original Greek. The the translators add punctuation to help us, but sometimes it's in a few cases, it's not such a help. See, when Jesus said they will take up serpents, what was he talking about? Now, the first, the first rule of Bible interpretation, if you want to be, if you want to stay accurate interpreting the Bible, the first rule of Bible interpretation is to take what is said literally. It just means what it says. But there's another rule of Bible interpretation, and that is that you cannot base any doctrine on one passage of scripture. If you only have one passage of scripture to that identifies in your mind a doctrine or a truth and you can't find it anywhere else, that's a problem. You have no right to insist that a particular thing is true if you only have it one time in the Bible. Because there's another spiritual law that says out of, out, of two, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. So when you only have one passage of scripture, then you have to look and see, now is there, is there any other interpretation? See, there are churches that, that take this verse to mean that one of the signs of being spirit-filled is you will actually on purpose, reach into a box of snakes and pick up snakes. Those churches are very small. That, that's, that's, a, that's a movement that hasn't caught on. Yeah, I wonder why. And see, people will say, well, it says so right here. It says so in the Bible. Yeah, but see, you have to, there's another rule of Bible interpretation, particularly when you have things that, that you're not clear on, and What could be less clear than only having something mentioned one time? The rule of Bible interpretation is always let, first of all, always let Scripture interpret Scripture. Take the Bible and and read what else the Bible says about that. Well, the problem is there's not another verse in the entire Bible anywhere from Genesis to Revelation that says you're supposed to pick up snakes. There's not another passage anywhere, Old or New Testament or New Testament. This is the only one. Well, then what else can you do to find out what it means if, if that's not enough to build doctrine on? Well, look up every other place where people did pick up snakes. And in the New Testament, we have one time and one only that anybody ever picked up a, snur- a snake. A snurping, a snake. Snurping, a snake. Only one time. And that's in the 28th chapter of Acts. Go over there. Acts 28, Paul, you know, had been aboard the ship bound for Rome as a prisoner. The ship uh, suffered shipwreck and they all swam to shore on this uh Island, verse twenty-eight, or verse chapter one, verse one, chapter twenty-eight, verse one says: Now, when they had escaped, they were. Then they found out that the island was called Malta, and the natives showed us unusual kindness. Luke was on board that ship with the Apostle Paul. He's writing here. He said the natives showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome, because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. And when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, when they were were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead, but after they had looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a God. And if you read the rest of this, you'll see that it opened the door for an opportunity uh, uh, to, to heal the sick on that island. That's what happened as a result of this. So the only example in the New Testament, when Jesus said, These are the signs that will follow believers. They will take up serpents. The only way you can interpret that literally, if you're gonna interpret it literally, the only application of that would be this, that Paul accidentally picked up a serpent. He picked up a bundle of sticks, didn't realize there was a snake in the sticks, and and the viper fastened itself to his hand. You know, that's different than just being struck. It's one thing to be struck by a rattlesnake. It's another thing for a, for a viper to strike you and hang on and just pump you full of venom. And it was, and it was a deadly snake because the people, they stood back and said, whoa, this guy's gonna die. We thought he was a good man. It, obviously, he's a bad person. But my point here is that it was, it was an accident In other words, he wasn't intentionally picking up snakes. What Jesus then evidently meant, if you take it literally, the literal uh, 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 demonstration of this is whenever you pick up a serpent or drink anything deadly. Remember in, in, in Mark chapter 16? They shall take up serpents and if they drink anything deadly, well, that would be poisonous. Well, being bitten by a snake, are accidentally, or being accidentally poisoned. Those are one and the same. They're two different uh, aspects, but they're of the same nature. That's what I meant when they're the same thing. That's why when I read that, I read that with a comma, not with a semicolon between the two, because those two are, the others are proactive. These two, which are really one and the same, are, are reactive. In other words, the one of three of the signs are they will cast out devils, they will speak with new tongues, and they will lay hands on the sick. That, those are proactive things. In other words, a proactive thing, thing is something that you take charge of or that you initiate. You initiate that. A reactive thing is something that you don't initiate, but you react to. You respond a certain way. Well, whenever, if you're bitten by a snake... Or you, or you are accidentally poisoned. He's telling us how to respond to it. You'll respond to it with immunity. Well, how do you do that? How do you respond with immunity? You take your authority in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And see, that's that. There's 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 like I said. You always look at a verse literally first. But then there is also. Spiritual applications. You are, not, you are not authorized when you're interpreting the Bible to spiritualize away the literal application. Let me say that again. You're not authorized to spiritualize away the literal application, but there often is a spiritual application in, in addition to the, the literal application. If you go over to Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10, you'll see the spiritual application of this. You know, in verse number one, it says Jesus appointed 70 others and sent them out. Verse nine, he says, heal the sick. Say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you and so forth. Verse 16, he says, he who hears you, hears me. He who rejects you, rejects me. He who rejects me rejects him who sent me. You know, if we're gonna represent Jesus like this to the extent that if somebody rejects us, they're rejecting Jesus, we better be representing Jesus. We better be representing him. If God's gonna hold people responsible for rejecting you and me, we better be representing Jesus right. The 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan like, fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Yes. Now in one way you could apply this literally. Literally and say that you've been given authority to trample on literal snakes like, that are out in your yard and scorpions. But again, you have to take it in the context of Acts 28. In other words, you don't go into the yard looking for scorpions. You don't go in the, in the yard looking for snakes. That is to, to just handle them, to demonstrate your awesome power. Because that, that's contrary to Acts 28. Acts 28. See, these are the only two passages in the Bible that that have any reference to Mark 16 where he said you will take up serpents and if you drink anything deadly. And this passage has to do with both of them. He said, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means harm you. And if you drink anything deadly, it will not harm you. See that it's talking about the same thing but the spiritual application is it's talking about demon power because they this is the setting for his comment. When Jesus made the statement, it was in response to the disciples saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name and then he said this. So he said this after they talked about demons, he said this and then after he said this, he said the following. He said, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you. So that's the spiritual application here is that demon spirits and all of the power of the enemy will have no effect if we take our authority over them. Now what I said was that three of these are proactive and one is reactive. There are things you initiate. You cast out devils. You speak with new tongues. You lay hands on the sick. In other words, you see a need in someone's life and you can lay hands on them. Did you know you can cast devils out of people? You can cast demons out of people? There was a time for a long time in America where there wasn't a lot of demon activity. Demons have always been prevalent. They're everywhere, they're all over the planet. But in some places in the world, demon activity is more. Uh, oh my goodness, it's 1203. Wow. Glory to God. We'll just have this as a Christmas ne- message next Sunday. <laughs> Let me just summarize real quick. We'll come back to this. We we are experiencing a society where the moral fabric that doesn't exist in a lot of other cultures and because that moral that moral restraint is not there. You have a whole lot more demons manifesting. Our culture is unraveling morally and demon activity is on the increase and it will be more and more evident as we approach the end of the, uh, of the church age. You have authority in the name of Jesus. I've done this. Now, when casting out devils is, is a whole uh, 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 subject to study on its own, there's a lot of sides to this. When you're ministering to people, you can't just cause a demon to come out of somebody that that wants to be bound. But if people wanna be free, you are authorized to set them free. You don't have to have any special feeling. You can just break the power of the devil. When people at work come to you just in their confidence and they, and they begin to talk about how they're being tormented and, and, and they're just out of control and something seems to be driving them, you know, just say, just tell them, you know, I can set you free from that yeah. if you want to be set free yeah. and just take authority over that. But then there are other times when people are just causing, causing trouble and it's affecting you. In the workplace. When I worked for the, for the phone company, I would have, If you mind if we go just a minute here? I would have, I worked uh, with usually one or two other people. We traveled around North Florida and I installed uh, telephone systems in businesses, sometimes large business. I put in the entire switch gear for hospitals, large hospitals, uh, courthouses, all the way down to small businesses, small switch frames. And, uh, and it would usually be, I, uh, after I learned the, the system, I became sort of the foreman and it usually be, would be me and maybe one or two other helpers and we would go from place to place. Well, you know, we would be in a business and we would be in the equipment room, the mechanical or the electrical equipment room, wherever they had designated for the phone equipment, which was a lot larger than it is now. And, uh, and, and people would come in You know, people from that business or it might be an electrician or it might be a new building that's under construction. And and we would just have people in and out of the room. And sometimes the most ungodly people would come in. Just cursing and mad and just, you know, just just showing themselves over and over again. Now, uh, for a long time, the person that was with me, actually he trained me, he was a good Christian as well. Now, he was a Baptist, but he was real interested in the Holy Spirit. And he was very open, so we had a lot of good com- conversations. And when people would come in like that and just that bad spirit, well, you know, we don't have to put up with that around us. And so we would just take authority over it. I said, "Here's what we do: we take authority over that right now in the name of Jesus." And those people would come in when they are around us; they wouldn't do it. They stop all that foolishness. Well, see, you 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 have authority in the workplace, and you you can't record. You can't. Sets a person free if they don't want to be free, but you can stop them from bringing their ungodly demonic influence into your life. And we would just absolutely take authority over it. And these people would come in, it was like they, they I don't know if they knew anything had changed or not. Wow. That's good. We have authority over evil spirits. Amen. And in your own life, In your own life, you have authority over the devil. Glory to God. Let's stand up. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. You don't have to put up with the devil in your life tormenting you. If there's something compelling you and... and uh, driving you or seeming to control your life, whether it's in your financial realm or it's in your emotional realm or in your physical body, whatever it is, you don't have to let the devil control you your life. Jesus said, "I give you authority over these spirits." I remember recently I was I was looking for something else. I was looking for a quote from Lillian B. Yeomans about a particular a statement she said in one of her books and I couldn't find it, but I stumbled upon something else that really blessed me. And uh, the statement she made was when she was set free from her heroin or, or her morphine addiction, the statement that blessed me was she said, I was so sure from the word of God that I was free, I couldn't help but be free. And then she said, I almost lost interest in my symptoms. Meaning the symptoms were still there, but she had gotten to where she was no longer looking at things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. She refused to consider her body. But then I went back and read the rest of the story. And Lillian M. Yeomans was a medical doctor back in the 1920s, I guess. And she was living at Canada at the time. And she got hooked on morphine because of her the, the, the uh, pressure she was under and, 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 her, and her practice and everything. She started taking morphine, you know, to help her sleep at night. And she got hooked on it. And it, it took quite a while for her to come to the place where she realized that She wasn't playing with this anymore. It was playing with her. The tiger had her. And she had seen countless people who were addicted to morphine. She was not only addicted to morphine, she was addicted to sulfide or sulfate chloral, which at that time was uh, used by doctors as a sedative. And, And criminals used it to make the knockout drugs, to knock people completely out. She was, taking, she was taking 50 times at the, at the height of her addiction. She was taking 50 times what any doctor would ever prescribe a patient for morphine daily. And she was taking, I wanna make sure I get this right. I think it was 100 times or 75 times the amount of, of sulfate chloral or chloral sulfate that any doctor would prescribe. She was taking this every day. And she was so bound by this and she recognized it was a demon spirit. Though it was a physical addiction, she recognized that that there was something else going on, that the devil, an evil spirit had her her in his grip. And she believed God and God set her free. She would, she would import these drugs from, from around the world because she was a doctor and she could do that and she lived in, in Canada at the time and she got hopelessly addicted. She went through, I don't know how many she said uh, times that she went into to, uh, you know, places to get her cured and she'd come out the same addict she went in. So her life was hopeless. Jesus set her free. But see, she had to rise up in the name of Jesus, and put a stop to it. People prayed for her, but nothing changed until she took authority. Until she took authority over him and claimed God's healing power in her life, nothing changed. I'm telling you, whatever it is in your life that seems to be controlling you, you have authority over it today. Jesus said, I give you authority over serpents and scorpions and all the power of the enemy. We should not be driven by any kind of compulsion. We should not be driven by any kind of habit. We should not be driven by any kind of behavior that's unscriptural. Amen. Before it gets to be a big problem, you need to stop it now. And if it's already a big problem, stop it now. Because there aren't any problems big or small in God's view, in God's eyes. Amen. Glory to God. You can cast that thing out of your life. Amen. Take authority over it. Say, I'm not, I'm not gonna have this in my life. I'm not having this evil spirit dominate me. I'm not having this uh this substance dominate me. I'm not having this habit dominate me, I'm not having this fear dominate me, I'm not having this depression dominate me, I'm not having voices in my head dominate me, I'm not having uh lustful faults dominate me, I'm not having diet dominate me, I'm not having anything that's out of character with God ruling me. No, no, not any longer. Glory to God. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. (laughs) Praise the Lord. These signs will follow the believing ones. Glory to God.